Hey everyone, welcome back to Should You Watch It? Reviews by Sydney. I'm your host, Sydney, and today I'll be reviewing Judas and the Black Messiah. Before we begin, I just want to say thank you all for listening to the first episode, my review of Promising Young Woman. Again, I hope you continue with me on the journey. I'm really excited to see where this goes, and I really appreciate the support. So before uh, we begin with the review, I just want to do some quick housekeeping again and just want to discuss some background items of how this came to be and extend some flowers to the cast and crew of the film. So Judas and the Black Messiah stars Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Keith Stanfield, Dominique Fishback, Jesse Palms, and Martin Sheen. Uh, this is a star-studded cast. I also want to point out that Algie Smith, Ashton Sanders, and Dominique Thorne also do great jobs in their performances. This is directed by Shaka King. This is his first big directorial debut, and it's going to be great to see where his career goes uh, moving forward. I know he's going to be involved with the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some capacity within kind of like the Black Panther franchise, so it's going to be great to see his voice and his work continue on with that um, franchise as well. But before we begin, I also just want to talk about uh, the producer, who is Ryan Coogler. And if you think that you've heard that name before, it's because you have. Ryan Coogler has directed Fruitville Station. He also directed the first Black Panther movie, as well as the first Creed movie. And Ryan Coogler is one of my favorite directors to come up in the game right now. Um, I think it's great when we can see and show spotlight to a lot of different black talent. Uh, but Ryan Coogler is uh, going to be doing phenomenal work moving forward with those projects that he has under his belt right now. It's just great to see him continue on with this. And I love that he's stepping in to the producer role. He was a producer on Creed 2. He's also a producer here. And it's great to see him transition and put on two hats, director and producer, and kind of give you know touch points to Shaka King, who also did a great job directing here. But um, props to Ryan for picking this project. This is um, a great film that I think is going to be talked about for many years to come. It's already done very well with uh, the cast receiving a couple of nominations and wins in this uh, year's Golden Globe. So congrats to the team. Me personally, I love to see black talent, of course, you know, in front of the screen, in front of the camera um, on the silver screen, but also behind it as well. And so for these two black kings to be doing this, it's um, props to them and congratulations to them. So without further ado, here is the review of Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah stars Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Black Panther Party chapter of Chicago, Illinois. Lakeith Stanfield is William O'Neill, a car thief turned FBI informant. We follow these two young men as they carve out their individual legacies in the fight for equality, justice, and black liberation. So I think the easiest way to digest this film is for us to compare the film characters to their historical and biblical biblical counterparts. So if, if Fred Hampton is a re representation of Jesus Christ, William O'Neill is Judas, one of Jesus' disciples who ultimately betrayed him. The Black Panther Party serves as the disciples, and in my opinion, the FBI agents J. Edgar Hoover and Roy Mitchell represent everyone that was against the teachings and new way of life that Jesus Christ was portraying um, during his time. And those serve as the people that were the priests and rabbis and the townspeople that were ultimately against the way that Jesus was trying to start this new form of living, this new form of religion. So the beginning of the film uh, sets us up for a great piece to 
drop us into the time period of what is going on. And so this is a year or so after the deaths of Dr. King and Malcolm X. And J. Edgar Hoover is speaking in an auditorium full of FBI agents. And he's showing clips and videos of uh, actual clips and actual videos of different leaders that were kind of popping their heads up in different parts of the United States, um, trying to continue the advancement and continue the legacies that Dr. King and Malcolm X left behind. And so J. Edgar Hoover is warning the FBI that the black community is trying to find a new black messiah. They're trying to find someone to step in the shoes of Dr. King, uh, Malcolm X. They're trying to find someone to continue and push forward the agendas that were happening during the civil rights movement. And so uh, J. Edgar Hoover is warning about, you know, they're going to try to find somebody that's going to unite these different groups of people. And the different groups of people that J. Edgar Hoover feared were the communists, the anti-war and the new left establishment. And that's directly what Fred Hampton was. Um, so then we get to meet Fred Hampton and we get to see, you know, a beat for beat representation of kind of how if Jesus did parables and miracles during his time, Fred was doing the community action, the community organization and leadership within the Black Panther Party community, trying to rally different groups of people together and trying to push this new agenda that was in direct opposition to the old guard and the old ways that J. Edgar Hoover wanted to maintain. And one of the ways that Fred was doing this was through kind of a socialist communist education within the Black Panther Party. And so those were some of the tenets that Fred wanted the Black Panther Party to continue with. Community action, community organization, building up um, ways to better your life through your own community. And the ways that they were doing that was, you know, we see a classroom setting for the Black Panthers. They're teaching each other, you know, different manifestos and different ways of organizing and different ways of intellectual thought. You had the food program, which was a way for the Black Panthers to feed the hungry and homeless children of Chicago while also teaching them about self-love and self-love within the Black community. And it was just a, a great representation of how the Black Panther Party wanted Black people to build themselves up. A lot of times you hear, you know, the saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that's definitely what the Black Panthers were trying to do. They were trying to engage the community in political activism within their own community, within their own groups and saying that, you know, we need to have education first. We need to have economic and social advancement within our community. And one of the other ways that Fred was kind of, you know, being a voice and being this ferocious, powerful individual was uh, creating the Rainbow Coalition. The Rainbow Coalition was this collective idea that if we take different marginalized groups, different disenfranchised groups within the United States and bring them together and show them that we have a common goal at the end and that's equality and that's betterment for our own lives. And if we show that we have this common enemy, which at that time was the U.S. government, the FBI, we can rally together and go directly to the man instead of having these battles between each of our own groups and all this infighting within our groups. And I think the Rainbow Coalition is kind of like the child of what Dr. King wanted to do, which was the poor people's movement, which was this uh, idea to bring all these different groups of people that are all disenfranchised, that were all kind of being oppressed by the same entity and showing them that they have um, more similarities and differences. And so I think that's just a direct representation of kind of what Jesus was doing during his time, just showing that there is a new way of thought, there is a new way of thinking, 
And that's what J. Edgar Hoover feared, and that's what the rabbis and the priests feared of Jesus, is if one person can rally all these different groups of people together and show that, you know, they have a common enemy, that's going to make them stronger and more powerful and easier for them to take us down. And that's directly what J. Edgar Hoover didn't want to happen. So I think the film does a great job of showing kind of the thought process and the teachings that Fred Hampton wanted to portray to the, you know, Black Panther Party, but also with his Rainbow Coalition and showing that, you know, even though we've had our past with each other, there's a scene where the Black Panthers go and they talk to the young patriots who are these rural white uh, community outside of Chicago and show in how he talks about how, you know, if the slave master and the sharecropper had banded together, they could have taken over the plantation. They could have stopped the oppression that the slave master was causing to both groups. And so I think it's just really interesting the the thought process that Fred had was he knew that the advancement of black people wasn't just going to come from black people doing the work on their own. They needed allies. They needed different groups of people to help them in that. So if we think of William O'Neill as Judas, I think it's easy for us to see the motivations at the beginning of the film of why Bill would betray uh, Fred and become an FBI informant in the first place. He's looking at six years of prison, one for trying to steal the car, and then five years for impersonating a federal officer. And so I think it's easy for us to see why someone that's in that tricky position would become an FBI informant and sell out Fred and the rest of the Black Panther Party in order for his own self-preservation to, ra- to reign over any advancement that he would help with being a Black Panther member. Um, And so I think that's one of the easiest ones that we can point out. But then also something that I started to get from the film was maybe Bill felt like he didn't have a place within the Black community. Maybe that's why he was so easily swayed by Roy when Roy said that the Ku Klux Klan and the Black Panthers are two sides of the same coin. They're both trying to use violence to push their own individual agendas. And you can see Bill start to believe that in the first place. He even says that Roy is a mentor to him and a leader for him. But then also as Bill spends more time with the Black Panthers and starts to develop relationships and friendships with these people, you see him become indoctrinated into the Black Panthers movement as well. You see him starting to realize that, oh, what they're trying to do is actually helping the community and helping better the lives of all these different people. And so I think that's why the guilt starts to kick in for Bill, and that's why he ultimately wants to get out of the game, is because he's being uh, tugged on two sides. One, uh, this black liberation, let me help my own people out, but then also him still not feeling a part of the community, and it's easy for him to give up the community because of Roy and because he feels like he doesn't really have a foothold in this game anyways. And so if we think about how Judas was paid off with 30 pieces of silver, uh, Bill is actually paid off with, in the first part, $300 in a gas station, but over time we realized that he earned almost like $200,000 for being an informant, and so that was his 30 pieces of silver. But also, you know, in the in how Judas takes his own life, Bill takes his own life as well because the guilt sets in that, one, he played a direct hand at the murder of Fred Hampton, but also he played a hand in how the FBI corrupted the Black Panther Party movement and kind of stopped and ceased the way that the Panthers were moving for equality and moving for betterment and advancement of the Black community. So I think all of that is a direct beat for beat of how Jesus and Judas interacted with one another. 
So the Black Panther Party represents the disciples, the followers of Fred, and you see this really play out well because he develops friendships um, with the different party members and, you know, the party members uh, really rally behind Fred, especially when he's about to go back to prison. They're trying to find ways for him and Deborah to get out of the country, for them to kind of live a normal life outside of, you know, having direct involvement in the party. And you see Fred going totally against that. He's like, you guys are worried solely about me and not about the party. And I think that's an interesting uh, presentation of how after Fred's death, he definitely became a martyr. He definitely became a rallying cry for the Black Panther Party and even for political activism today. A lot of his teachings and a lot of his speeches still come up in political activism today. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, revolutionaries and visionaries, they don't get the easy way out. They don't get a chance at a normal life. And I think that is played excellent when Deborah uh, is in the church scene with Fred and he's rallying up everybody and he's saying, are you a revolutionary? Are you a revolutionary? And the camera pans to Deborah, and it's a moment of her being proud, but also being very fearful and very wary of what's going to happen with Fred's future. And it's kind of like we get an insight into her like thinking that she knows that Fred is going to give his life over to the party and she's going to have to raise their child by herself and interesting to see how you know revolutionaries and visionaries and men and women that put their political agendas their party agendas whatever their agenda may be over their own life and how they ultimately give up their life in order for the advancement of whatever they want to be advanced and so I think that scene in the church is a great representation of that. And also Dominique Fishback does great with her face acting to show that kind of, you know, being proud of her partner and being proud of the man that she's in love with. But then also, you know, knowing that, you know, she's not going to live to grow old with him because he feels the the party and the advancement is more important than anything that he could ever do with his, you know, life just living in. And so if he needs to die by any means any means necessary to advance the party, he's going to do that. And that's ultimately what happens. And like I said earlier, the FBI, Roy Mitchell, J. Edgar Hoover, they represent the old guard. They represent the priests and rabbis and the townsfolk that didn't like what Jesus was doing, that didn't like what Fred Hampton was doing. And so at the beginning of the film, we see J. Edgar Hoover warning about if a new black messiah comes up in the ranks within the black community, they're going to push for anti-war. They're going to push for more communist social ideas. They're going to push for this new left agenda. And so I think the film does a great job of showing who the true villain was in all of this. And it was the federal government. It was the FBI. They played a direct hand in a lot of different black leaders being murdered. Uh, they played a direct hand in Fred Hampton's death, as we see at the end of the film. And I think the the film does a great job of kind of course correcting a lot of misconceptions that people had about the Black Panther Party. I think the way that people used to think about the Black Panther Party, you know, these radicalized, militia-like people that would carry around their guns. Don't get me wrong, they definitely, like, believed in the Second Amendment, right? But, you know, they were more than that. They were about education. They were about economic advancement. They were about uh, socialized health care, bettering their community and bettering other communities. And I think Shaka King does a great job of kind of showing beat for beat the true villain all this. And I think it's a great, great way to show a more accurate portrayal of one, the Black Panther Party and their true agenda and their true motivations for equality, justice and black liberation 
and then a more accurate portrayal of the FBI and how they had a hand in the dissolvement of the Black Panther Party, as well as as well as their involvement in the death of Fred Hampton and the death of many other black leaders. So real quick, I just want to go over some last minute thoughts I have of the film. I think the acting is terrific. Again, it's going to be great to see where the rest of the cast goes as far as their careers. Daniel, you know, is a sensational actor. I mean, his eyes just have a way of piercing through your soul, and they definitely do that in this film as well. Lakeith plays an excellent Bill O'Neill, someone that, you know, uh, easy to hate on the page but also when you think about how young he was he was Bill O'Neill was 17 years old when all of this happens and so I think it's interesting for uh, Lakeith to play such a complex character where it's easy to hate him but you can also see some of the motivations of why he did the things that he did I guess my only it, this isn't a con I guess my only hesitation with the film is the fact that Daniel and Lakeith are 30 year olds playing 21 and 17 year olds so Fred Hampton was 21 during all of this when he passed and uh, William O'Neill was 17 when he's first approached by the FBI to become an informant and so I think it had just been interesting and probably given a little bit more insight to the motivations especially for Bill's character a 17 year old kid with six years in prison up um, it had been easier for us to kind of see why he would become an informant in the first place and why he's easy to betray. It's easy for him to betray Fred um, because you're thinking of that in the mind of a 17-year-old and not a 30-year-old man. So I think that would have been interesting if we if we ever have like a, you know, a Netflix 10-episode uh, series about Fred Hampton and Will O'Neill, it'll be interesting to see what it would be like for younger actors to play these roles. One, I think it would have showed how strong and powerful Fred was and how much of a threat he was to the FBI, that he was such a young man at 21 years of age that could captivate large groups of people and motivate large groups of people for a common goal. And then also, if we saw Will as an actual 17-year-old, maybe that would make us more empathetic initially to why he would become uh, FBI informant. I mean, I think those are just my observations. Daniel and Lakeith do a great job, but they're also experienced veteran actors. Um, and also we see them as 30 year olds. It would just been interesting to have seen a younger portrayal of these two men. But to answer the question, you definitely should watch this film. I think this is something that's going to be able to be played in, you know, schools as far as talking about American history and telling accurate portrayals of American history. I can see this being uh, played in a poli-sci class for college. I definitely think this movie is going to go beyond just a normal viewing experience and it's going to become an integral part in how we tell American history and it's not just black history it's an accurate portrayal of American history so that was my review of Judas and the Black Messiah thanks everyone for listening to this episode I hope you will continue with me on the journey again I'm really excited to see what's to come you can stay up to date with the podcast by following me on Instagram and Twitter also you can listen to the podcast episodes wherever you like to get podcasts at and again, thanks for listening. Hope you all stay safe and healthy.